Well, welcome to The Exchange Online. My name is Hal Mayer. I'm the pastor of young adults at Grace Family Church. And we are still online. We are still in quarantine. And I'll just give you guys a little bit of an update. I'm not sure yet what exactly our steps forward are for being able to meet. I know this, Grace Family Church as a whole, is probably not going to be able to meet until stage three. Uh, because of distancing and children's ministry and all that kind of stuff. Uh, In stage two, the exchange may change a little bit. Um, We may have the ability to meet possibly, but I know this, we are going to be looking at having our small groups come together, meet together, maybe doing some watch parties, just ways for you guys to stay involved and get around other people. Uh, we're, we're looking for that right now because we know in this time is incredibly important to stay around people. I know many of you are already doing that. Those of you that are extroverts, as soon as stage one opened, you were at people's houses. You were at the beach. You were doing those things, uh, which is awesome. Uh, but it, it's just one of those things where, yes, we care about the virus. We want things to stay safe. But at the same time, we are definitely wanting to get back together. We definitely want to be in one room together. Um, Because this has been a lot. This has been a lot for the church as a whole. This is a lot for the exchange. So right now, let me just open us up uh, with prayer as we go forward. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have just to meet online, the technology and all that in it. God, I thank you for the fact that we can have small groups um, that meet afterwards online and have some sense of community. God, I pray. Uh, for those decision makers that are making the decisions on the steps we take forward. God, I pray that you give them wisdom and understanding. God, I pray for the doctors and those on the front line. God, I pray that you continue to keep them safe and heal. God, I pray for this to go away. God, I pray for Christians as a whole to step up and love those that are affected by this. God, we, we know that this is a tough time, but we know that you are also a sovereign over all. God, please help us understand what we are supposed to do. And we we are supposed to come back. God, we thank you uh, for all that you're going to do for us in this time. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we are in the book of Acts. And many times you hear the book of Acts being called the Acts of the Apostles. Basically what the Apostles did. But really when you look at it, it's not necessarily the Acts of the Apostles. It's Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because many times, here's what we can do. We can look at the book of Acts and we can go, look what Jesus did or look what God used to do. And that's not at all what it's supposed to be. When we look at the book of Acts, we should not just see what God did, but what God is still doing today. And the book of Acts is not just this idea of how the church started, but it's how the church is. It's what happens when the Holy Spirit infuses a church, when the Holy Spirit infuses Christians in such a way that they have the power to do what God has called them to do. And you see this in this book. The church starts at, what, 120 people. In chapter 2, it goes up by about 3,000. In chapter 4, it says the church goes up by 5,000 men. And then you add on the women and children there. All of a sudden, what's going on? The church is exploding. The Holy Spirit has given them power. The church is exploding. Everyone is excited. But what comes along whenever the church explodes? What always happens when God has a big movement? Everyone wants to say blessing. Here's the truth. It's persecution. It's persecution. Whenever God does something big, somebody will be against it. In fact, if you want to do incredible things in your life, you will be persecuted for it. If you want to see the church do incredible things, that means people won't all like the church. This idea that we can do incredible things for God and everyone like us is not true at all. I think that's the way for most Christians. We don't like the idea of persecution. 
Because for many of us, the way Christianity was explained to us was, man, you get to accept Christ. He comes into your life, and then you get to spend eternity in heaven. The problem is, most of the time, when people told you about the gospel, they forgot about the part in between, the part called life. Right, And so there's this idea, all right, I have Jesus in my life. Yes, I get to go to heaven. But what about the in-between? What about life? When stuff starts to happen, the fact that even though you're a Christian, you still go through hard times. Even though you're a Christian, you still go through pain and sorrow. But we have Christ next to us. But here's the other side. Many times people don't tell you. When you truly follow after God, when you truly start to tell other people about Christ, when you truly allow him into your heart and life, People don't like it. In fact, you get persecuted for it. People will speak against you and assume that there's something you've done is wrong. And it will come from outside the Christian realm. And many times it will even come from inside the church, from people who are not living the life they're supposed to. See, if you live a life with Christ, it's about persecution. But in the American church, what do we talk about? We always talk about blessing, right? If you live what God's called you to live, it's going to be a blessing. He's going to bless you. Yes, he will bless you. He will bless you. But the world around you will persecute you. The world around you will find fault with you. And the problem is there's this idea in Christianity that Jesus is that person that you come to when you need something. You need a boyfriend? Go to Jesus. You need a car? Go to Jesus. You need a new job? Go to Jesus. It's like this celestial pinata in the sky. You close your eyes, you bring a stick, you take a whack, and he gives you what you want. And then what happens? We've been sold on this bill of goods. We go throughout our life. We ask God for things. He doesn't give us what we want every single time. And so we walk away from him because we believed it was all about us. People sign up for that kind of God and they walk away from the church all the time. See, when we do the things that God's truly called us to do, when we truly live a godly life, Yes, God will bless us, but yes, the world outside will also persecute us. Let me just help you understand, there's two types of persecution. Many times you'll have people go, well, you know, the church in the United States isn't really persecuted. Yes, it is. Now, there's churches around the world that are persecuted in a different way. In China, they just had another church that went under siege. There's more people right now dying for the cause of faith, you may not know this, than ever in history. There's more people being martyred now for being a Christian. Why? Because there's still many places in this world where it's illegal to be a Christian. And there are people dying for it. And there's people that will say, well, they're dying for it. So whatever's going on in your life, you know, you should just dismiss it. No, there's two different types of persecution. There's persecution where they will kill you to shut you up. And there's persecution where they will shame you to shut you up. They will shame you. They will berate you. They will call you out just for you to be quiet. And here's the truth. Many times, because it's not something that's as big as killing as Christians, many times we take a step back and we go, well, if people don't like us, if people don't like what we say, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we should change what we say. And that's actually the opposite of what we should do. See, the big reason people are killed in other countries, the big reason we are shamed in this country is because we speak the name of Jesus. See, in chapter 4, what you see is you see Peter and John on trial. On trial for what? Healing someone. They're on trial for healing someone. Peter heals 
And John heals the man at the gate. If you guys remember in the last chapter, there was a man that was lame from birth, couldn't walk from birth. He sat at the gate his entire life. Peter and John healed him. He stood up. He was excited. Immediately, the religious leaders asked, who did this? Peter got up, gave a message that said, Jesus did this and you killed him. And then what happens? They healed a man. They end up in prison. They end up in prison. Why? Who's against healing, right? Who is anti healing. No one is against that, right? No one is anti-healing in today's world. Who would be against healing? Even an atheist would be pro-healing, right? You don't have to get the insurance involved, no copay, nothing like that. Healing is good. Look, the healing wasn't the problem. No one was mad that he got healed. The problem was this, is they used the name of Jesus. They used the name of Jesus. And let me help you understand this. You will never get in trouble for serving. You get in trouble for speaking. You will never be called out for feeding the homeless, caring for those that are poor, helping out single moms, loving those who have no one to love, going into the prisons and caring for people. You will never be called out for that. But the moment you tell someone that I did this because Jesus loves me and I feel like he told me to love you too is when everything hits the fan. See, it's when you serve and you use the name of Jesus that that's what's happening. And I want you to understand, it's both serving and speaking. There's this rhetoric growing around today that is, that is in response to something that was wrong, but it is also wrong. You see, there was a little of this going on almost in the mission field and in a lot of service where people, basically you had someone that was hungry, you're holding a bag of food, you say, do you want to know Christ? They give their life to Christ and then they give them the bag of food. That's oversimplified, but that's the idea. And so there's been this response, this wave, the other way where I, I've seen books written about, it. I've seen people talk about this, say, hey, just go out and serve. Don't tell them that you're a Christian. Just go out and serve and something good will happen. Let me just tell you, that is false. That is not true. It sounds good. And it's a response to something that was bad. But what we should do is we should serve people. We should love people. And then we should tell them we care about them and we love them. And the reason we're serving them is because Jesus loved us in such a way he changed our hearts so that we would serve them. And it would be amazing if they got to know Jesus too. It would be a shame for someone to have a full belly and an empty heart. It's about serving. It's about speaking. Why was Jesus killed? Right? It wasn't because he did a lot of miracles. It wasn't because he fed 5,000 people. It wasn't because he did all these great things. It's because he spoke. It's because he said he was God. It's both speaking and serving. It's both things at the same time. Both. Because there's a lot of people out there that speak that never serve. There's a lot of people that speak about things that matter but never do anything about it. For example, Ahmaud Arbery. Tons of social media posts out there. Tons of people talking about how they're standing with them. Tons of people who ran the 2.23 miles and said they stand with Ahmad. Here's the problem that comes into place. Many times in today's world, we send out social media, we post it everywhere, we talk about it, but then we don't do anything about it. See, if you wrote, posted that you ran with Ahmad, but you don't change the way you interact around your friends and your family members, you don't call out racism when you see it, then you're missing it. If you say that you care about racism, but at the same time you're going, well, but at the same time, I think this is overblown. Here's my question. If you think this whole thing is overblown, 
Are you surrounded with people who just look like you and think like you? When something that is racist comes to the media, and let me just say this, the media is always going to make things bigger, but that doesn't mean it's not big. But when things come into the media and you look at it and you're like, this is totally overblown, and everyone around you is saying that too, is it because they all look like you? Are all your friends your same color? Are all your friends your same ethnicity? Are all your friends in the same uh, social group, same hierarchy, same amount of money, same place of living, all those things? If that's the case, you're missing what God wants for your life. And if that's the case, you will never understand what another group is going through unless that changes. See, one of the biggest ways we kill racism is we change our friend groups. We purposely surround ourselves by people that are different so we can understand. And that goes for everyone. That goes for everyone. But the reason we do that so we can understand society, so we can love and care for those that look different than us, that are Christ followers and God loves just as much. See, it's speaking and it's service. It's both things together. And we see the apostles, what did they do? They served, they healed, and then they spoke. And so they received persecution. They were thrown in jail. And what I want to look at is not the trial that happened, but what happened after the apostles were released. How did they react to this persecution? Did they step back? Did they go into hiding? And in Acts 4, 23 to 31, we see what they did. It says, as soon as they were free, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. What did they do? They returned to the church. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Immediately, what? They pray. They say, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of this earth prepare for battle. The rulers gather together against the Lord and his Messiah. They're looking back in the Bible and seeing what God said was going to happen. In fact, this has happened here in this city for Herod, Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. There was a mini earthquake and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. With boldness. They go to jail for preaching the word of God. They go to jail for talking about Jesus. They are out. What's the first thing they do? They return to family. They return to the church. They return to the church. They go back to their core. They go back to the people that care about them, love them. And here's the problem nowadays. If you go through hard times, if you're a new Christian and you're doing something godly and you receive persecution or you're a new Christian, all of a sudden everything in your life starts to fall apart. And you go, oh my gosh, what's going on? Do you go to the church? Do you go to your friends? Do you go to your small group or do you go into hiding? See, we all need these types of people. The problem is in today's world, real friendships are hard to find. We have so many fake relationships that we keep up through social media and texting. We have so few real relationships with people that we can confide in, people that love for us and care for us. See, and I want you to understand, we need to have those type of friends before things go wrong. Before things go wrong, not when everything goes wrong. 
See, when things go bad, and I've seen this happen so many times in the church, I've seen people who run back to the church when everything goes bad, and they want to find relationships, and they want to microwave them. They want relationships right off the bat that have incredible intimacy, incredible accountability, incredible amount of people loving for them and caring for them right off the bat. And if that doesn't happen within a month, they go, well, the church sucks. The church is bad. It's filled with hypocrites. And they leave, believing that the problem is not them, but the fact that people didn't love them fast enough. I mean, I've had, I've run in with so many guys that come back to the church and like, I need accountability. I have problems with porn. I have problems with these things. They go into a group and they don't find deep real accountability in that group within a month. And they say, all these guys are fake. And I'm like, have you met guys? We don't develop relationships that fast. It takes time. Girls, it takes time. That's why we need to develop relationships when things are good. Because when things go bad, we need those people there. We need people around you. And understand this, the Christian idea of community is not surrounding yourself with a group of people that serve you. The idea of community in the church and in the Bible is that it's a group of people that you serve, that you love. It's the true idea of being a friend. And let me just say this many times when I have people tell me that they need to change groups. And I'm not saying this is every time, but change groups or find new friends. The problem is not their friends. The problem is they don't know how to be a friend. See, they're not looking for friends. They're looking for servants. They're not looking for someone to serve. They're looking for a whole bunch of people to drop what they are doing and serve them. See, the first thing the apostles did was most important. They went back to their group. They went back to their people. And the second thing they did, we saw that there is what? They prayed together. They prayed together. See, this is why you need friends that are Christians. You need friends who can pray with you and for you. In fact, the closest distance between two people is prayer. It doesn't matter if you're in the same room, the same city, the same state, the same nation. When you are praying, you are close together. See, this is what happens. I've seen where everything goes wrong. People come into the church and they wonder, they wonder this. Why weren't people there for me in the beginning? Well, you didn't have the friends there in the beginning. We once had a lady come to church who showed up and she was incredibly mad. She's like, nobody visited me in the hospital. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. What happened? She says, well, this happened, this happened, and I ended up in the hospital. I'm like, well, are you in a small group? She's like, no. I'm like, well, did you tell anybody you were in the hospital? No. Then what did you expect? I just expected you to figure out that I was in the hospital. For God to tell you that. And since you didn't do that, do that, then I guess you're not that close to God. I'm like, whoa, no. The problem here is this, is you don't have anybody in your life. See, the reason you may not be cared for is you're not caring for anybody else. The reason you may not have anybody that's praying for you is because you're not praying for them. See, the great thing about community is we come together, we pray with one another, we pray for one another. And it's through that prayer that our relationships and our bonds with Christ and our relationships and our bonds with each other is strengthened. They're praying so that they can strengthen that relationship. They want the relationship with each other to be strengthened. They want the relationship with God to be strengthened. And that happens through what? It happens through prayer. True friendship is built around prayer. They get together, they pray. And the next one is the hardest thing. They trusted in a sovereign God. What does that mean? They trusted that God was in control. And this is tough. When things go wrong, 
when the world seems out of control, when there's a pandemic, when everyone in the media or everyone on social media is blaming God, saying, where is he right now? What do you do? When things in your life get hard, when things in your life fall apart, when things get tough, what do you do? When everyone in the world is bashing Christians, I find it interesting that the one religious group in this United States that it's perfectly okay to bash, to call out, to, to absolutely go against is Christianity. In fact, there's almost a bandwagon mentality to jump on the boat of atheism and run over as many Christians as possible. And when that is happening around you, in your world, in your work, in your school, what do you do? And let me just be honest with you. When things are awful, I doubt also. I do. I have doubts. I have problems. I start to go, when things are falling apart, I go, well, is God really in control? Is God really taking care of things? Let me just say this. Christians, we do an incredible job. We do an incredible job of viewing God as sovereign when things are going well, right? When we graduate, when we get that raise, when someone way hotter than us is dating with us, we're going, well, God is on the throne. Everything is good. But what happens when we flunk? What happens when we lose our job? What happens when we get dumped? Is God still on the throne? What happens when it's cancer? Is God still in control? And I want you to understand, sovereignty does not believe that you believe that everything that's happening in this world, God wants to happen. That's not true. Because most of the pain in this world is caused by sin. And God does not want us to sin. And he doesn't want sin in the world. But he gives us the free will to go that way. See, sovereignty, though, is believing that God sits on a throne above it. God sits higher than us. God is truly, truly in control. When he wants to get something done, he will. See, when we're persecuted, when we're doing things for God and things go the wrong way, what's your response? What's your response? Mine is doubt also. I'm going, God, I'm following you. God, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to. Why are things not going better for me right now? See, many times when things are going wrong, I tend to not think God is sovereign. I start to think that the circumstances are. Or I think the people that are causing me this pain are. Instead of looking to God, what I tend to do is develop my own plan, my own way of fixing this. God's apparently not on the throne right now. God's apparently not in control or he doesn't care. So I'm going to put together a plan to fix it. Let me ask this question. Who killed Jesus? I mean, it's the Romans that carried it out. We see this in this verse. It was the Jewish leaders that planned it. It was the crowd that voted for it. They voted for Jesus to die instead of Barabbas. So who killed Jesus? I mean, think about it. If there were ever a time that it seemed like God was not on his throne, it was the moment that Jesus died. I mean, if you're a disciple and you're sitting there, when Jesus gets arrested, you're wondering what's God doing. When Jesus gets beaten, you're wondering what God is doing. When Jesus goes to trial, you're wondering what is God doing. And when Jesus dies, you're going, there is no God. If there was ever a moment that people thought that God was not sovereign, it was the moment that Jesus died. Yet in that moment, it was the most awful thing that ever happened in history. Yet it was the most beautiful thing that ever happened in history. And it was something that we don't see until after it was over. See, we can't know, we don't know, we will not know what God is doing until we see it in the rearview mirror. 
We hear all the time about this plan God has for our lives. And we're like, come on, God, show me the plan. God's like, no, trust me. Trust me. See what happens. And what happens is this, is we trust God. We go through life and we look in the rearview mirror. We see the ways that he's come through. We see what he's done. And because we see all he's done before us in the Bible, in our own life, we trust him in the next steps to be in control, even when things seem absolutely out of control. See, that's what it means to believe that God is sovereign. That's what it means to believe that God is in control. It, believing that what he's done in the past means he will do it in the future again. You see, here's what happens. When you surround yourself with the right people, when you pray and you keep God where he's supposed to be, here's what ends up happening. You start to pray for the correct things. And here's what they pray for. They pray for the Holy Spirit to embolden them, right? To give them power. And that's exactly what happens. The Holy Spirit empowers them, it says, with boldness. Notice what they don't pray. They're not praying for the world to change. They're not praying for the leaders to change. They're not praying for prayer back in school. They're not praying for everyone to get it right. They're not saying that, you know, God needs to be back in the government. What are they praying for? Are they praying for the world to change? No, they're praying for their hearts to change. They're praying for themselves to change. They're praying for a new power not so that the world changes before them so that they can change the world. See, when our mindset is correct, we stop praying for everything to change and we pray for God to change us. And the way he does that is through the Holy Spirit. See, it's the Holy Spirit in our lives that changes our heart. It's the Holy Spirit in our lives that gives us an incredible boldness. It's the Holy Spirit in our lives that will allow us to move through everything that happens to accomplish something incredible for Christ. And it says at the end of that verse, there was a mini earthquake, which is incredible, just God showing up. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit again. People are like, wait, they had to be filled again? Yes. I mean, think about it this way. Do you put gas in your car? I mean, outside of quarantine, I usually put gas in my car about every week, every week and a half. Why? Because I need to get somewhere. I need the power to get somewhere. In the same way, you need power. You need to be filled regularly. Why? To be able to do what God's called you to do. In the same way that you gas up before a journey, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit before we go out and do what God's called us to do every single day of our lives. Let me just say this, try this. This is not mine. It's something I know of a pastor that said this. He said, every time you get gas and you fill up your car, you say a prayer asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. See, this is the church. People coming together, people praying, people recognizing who God is, being empowered by the Holy Spirit and going back out and serving and speaking in his name. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you that we have an opportunity to do big things for you. God, I pray that we will continue to do that. God, I pray that we will continue to seek community, whatever it may be in this time. And God, I pray for your, your love and your care and your peace on all of our hearts right now. God, I pray if there's anyone out there that is lonely, if anyone out there that has awful thoughts, God, I pray that you put them on our hearts. God, I pray that we'd be reaching out to those in our life that we know have issues. And God, I pray that we would be the church. God, when we post things, when we do things, when we share things, when we serve and persecution comes against us, God, I pray we would not feel 
down. I pray that we would not go into isolation, but we would come together with other believers and pray for power to overcome it. God, we thank you again that we get to be a part of this. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.